So for this episode, it's really funny actually, we were just talking just before we started recording. Jason just starts talking about Oprah, you know, trip they went on and then proceeds to tell me how he's told me this before and clearly he has not. Anyway, I just thought as well as I know Jason, there's obviously a few things that I don't know about him and I thought it'd be quite cute to play 20 questions just so that Alice's could get to know us a little bit more, and I can obviously get to know Jason a bit more, and vice versa. And vice versa. <laughs> well, for the record, Henrietta, I'm sure I mentioned to you that I've been to South Africa, and the only time I've been to South Africa is on an Oprah trip where I went to her school and ended up teaching a class um, for a couple weeks that we were there. Actually, definitely never happened. I would remember a two-week trip of Oprah, even if I wasn't on it. Um, okay, well, 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 fair enough, fair enough. I will, um... <laughs> but it's an amazing story. Unfortunately, NDAs have been signed, so it's not going to be on this episode. But we'll get to find out other things. Exactly. Hopefully that involve Oprah. But for the record, was an absolutely magical experience. What was she? Is she, is she everything that I think... You know how much I love her. Is she everything that I think she is? She is a powerful, incredibly commanding of her space kind of woman. All eyes are definitely on Oprah in in her environment and her her strength is exuded and it, there's there's no doubt about the power that comes from her her presence. I just love her. But I'm very excited, Henrietta, about this 20-question situation. I think this is such a great way for us to kind of rewind a little bit, A, (laughs) learn about each other a bit more, and certainly inform our listeners as to more about who we are. Yeah, I think that when you get to know someone and you you feel like you know someone so well, it's like the most random things that you end up not knowing. (laughs) Exactly. Like a trip to South Africa with Oprah. Anyway, I'm going to stop being mad about that. I'm really happy that that happened to you, and I can only hope it happens to me one day. So first question, who's going to go first? Um, I'll go first. Okay. Okay, Henrietta, who do you consider someone living their best life? Um, probably, I mean, I'll give you two answers. One is the cheesy answer, which is my daughter. <laughs> I think because she's one years old and just seeing life through her eyes is just incredible. She has no fear. She doesn't have those wherewithals that make us not who we authentically are you know she's just the happiest chattiest most she's just explores she's just fearless and funny and fun and just always doing the most which is really inspiring to see but I guess from a public I mean Oprah (laughs) Oprah and the cast of Black Panther I actually look I'd say the cast of Black Panther okay Living their best life, I mean, just to have that career, to be in that film and to know what it's doing for the culture, from the female perspective, working with Michael B. Jordan, just (laughs) living the best life. You're really rolling with that Michael B. Jordan thing, aren't you? More specifically than maybe even Lupita Nyong'o. Okay. Living her best life. Well, if you had asked me that question, I funny that you said your daughter. I have a child, a, a child of two friends of mine, who I would say that child is living his best life. He is surrounded by so much love, and he's the most adorable little thing. So for sure, to be a child is to live one's best life. And I think that's my number one 
goal as a parent to retain a lot of that. I think that would be that would be a job well done if I could do that. Amazing. Okay. Now, your first question to me. Mine's a bit more superficial. Oh dear. Um, if you could only buy one of these two things for the rest of your living life, what would they be? Amazing vintage finds or exciting designer pieces newly made and purchased? Hands down, vintage finds. Really? Absolutely, without a doubt. Why? I find that in vintage, I am get to be more expressive than I am with anything designer that I could find on any store floor. And do recall, most of the things that you're finding currently on store floors are completely recycled more, <laughs> more no, often but, than not. But you don't even have the option of something that is just really new and fresh and... New and fresh? Absolutely not. I want nothing with new and fresh. Like, that's a myth. <laughs> that is a myth. I want something with character, with design features, with provenance that ha you know that that can go the distance, and that I find in vintage. So unequivocally vintage. Well, this isn't another question, but it's a question off the back of that question. <laughs> so, what are you saying? That the design days are, are done. Like all the best designs been made. Um, I wouldn't say that all the best designs have been made, but surely that most of the designs that I'm seeing, the supposedly newly designed things, are not new at all. They're interpretive, and oftentimes they're direct copies from something that came before. That's Mind you, of course, there's some updated fabrication and so on and so forth, but undoubtedly I always find that the original is always the best. Okay. <laughs> um, what is your most memorable trip to where and why? Um, I think when I went to Ghana when I was 15, just because it's just such an awkward age and it, and it was for me. And so to travel to my homeland and be so awkward and gangly, have acne and all of that kind of typical teenage stuff, to just be surrounded by all of this family, a lot of whom I hadn't met before and this kind of environment that I wasn't familiar with and it, I swear it was a summer that was not ever cooler than 102 oh dear. <laughs> um, but it was just I think that trip was really memorable because it was such an amazing uh, sensory experience from an emotional and mental and physical and I just remember it just being a hodgepodge of things that as time goes on, I look at in a more and more appreciative way. It's like it at was the a, time, did it not seem like that? At the time, it's it was a trip where just a lot of things were going on. But I think it's it's most memorable because every time I think about it subsequently, I take something different away from it. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the trip that keeps on giving, as opposed to just we were living our best lives, and then that's just the one thing you remember. It's like right. I just remember a lot of things and like wisdom that my grandmother told me, and you know cousins, and it didn't make sense at the time. But then I went through something years later, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's what that means, or just just a lot. And so I always look back at that trip really fondly. But it's just been a trip that. Yeah, I just keep thinking back to, and then when I revisited Ghana again and again, I just was like, oh, I get, I don't know, it, it, it was just, a, it started, it opened something up. I so see. So that's what it was, yeah. But it wasn't of the spring break variety. I never did that. <laughs> I, I never did that. We mentioned this, um, we were talking about Ibiza. I wasn't that kid. I didn't go on the ski trips. I didn't go on the spring break. I couldn't afford to, firstly, and then when I did start working when I was like 14, 15, that money was so that I could do things like short trips to Paris and buy Reebok classics. Right. That was not me. I was not that girl. I started really going on vacation when I hit my 20s. <laughs> 
Um, oh, it's me. Oh, okay, this is a good one. If you could be any age for a week, what age would you be? That is a very good question because I'm I'm at an age right now <laughs> that I've been looking at back at life through the ages <laughs> recently. <laughs> and I have been trying to find what was that time that just fed my soul. But you know, I got to tell you, it was in my early 30s. It was in my early 30s before the backslide. There was a time. Before, there was a time that it was all optimism. That it was just like, life is ahead. It's all beauty. It's all upward mobility. It's just successes, experiences, and so on and so forth. And then your late 30s hit you, and then all of a sudden, life becomes this, like, massive, like, encyclopedia of questions and doubts and insecurities and all these kind of things that you're like, wait a minute, I, I thought I had this locked in my 20s. I thought I, I could always find my, my joy and could always find um, a, a happy direction. Yeah, no, that changes along the way. That changes along the way. And I think after 32, after my early 30s, I don't want to limit it to a year. Let's say from 30 to 34. Those were years that I still felt young. I still felt that choices were, all the choices were ahead of me. And freedom was still percolating in my system. After that, I'm afraid that it changes drastically this is very disappointing because Sorry. i guess i'm right at that age where apparently we fall off a cliff okay like <laughs> lemmings okay get ready okay so <laughs> let's put a different spin on it i guess you're saying it's your early 30s because you're old enough to know better but you're still young enough to be optimistic yes okay I think I prefer that spin because. <laughs> now, speaking of wisdom and learning through the ages, is there what book? What was the last book that you last read? Ba -ba -ba -ba. Oh, I mean, I haven't finished it. I've read it before, but I haven't finished it this time round. Uh, Giovanni's Room. <gasps> James Baldwin. Wait, wait, wait. You wait. <laughs> now, now we're at the juncture where you didn't tell me uh, something that you're doing that I, I absolutely need to know about because I do recall expressing uh, my thoughts on, on Giovanni's room to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was why because I had just picked it up. You saw it or something in my living room, and I just picked it up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna like reread this over the holidays," which just didn't happen. Okay. Um, well, after I leave you in this session, I would love for you to complete that because Giovanni's room you could read in like a three hour. Um, uh, sit down. Well, we need to do a podcast on it because it's such we, it's such a special. He him. We need to do a. We, we need to do, do James a, Baldwin. We need to do a podcast on James Baldwin. We absolutely because do. Because he is the truth. He is the one. He truly is. I don't honor people like that. I, no one is exalted in my eyes. Um, but if I were to choose one person, it would be James Baldwin. His oeuvre is so important to me. And Giovanni's Room, that's a book that, um, and it's really a short story, that I reread every few years. The tension in that work, mm -hmm. it's so unbelievable. It's one of my favorite, but also, it's one of my favorite pieces of work, but I also don't love just that, that tightrope of emotions mm -hmm. that really courses through that short story. He, he's just a Special thinker. Absolutely, absolutely. A special thinker and an incredible writer. Yeah, incredible. Which is really funny because, and but you cannot say James Baldwin because my next question to you is, who would be your dream person to have a conversation with and why? 
That is a really, really good question because I, know, I just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mentioned to you, I'm not the kind of guy who sits around and like looks at these famous and accomplished people, and it you know, be anyone. It could I, be I understand. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm just not one of those people who position myself like that, like, oh, my God, I would love to be in the orbit of so-and-so and speak to so-and-so. It's never, never who, it's never how I've, I've been wired. But in saying that, and I, I, I am going to have to say James Baldwin, at least as, as one of my answers, because there's no one that occupies that space, mm-hmm. a similar space for me as James Baldwin yeah. does. And, um, and especially the, the time that he came up in and the, and the timelessness of his messages and and all of that and just the so qu- relevant today it's not oh it's so relevant to the quality of his of his writing so he would definitely definitely be at the top um he would be definitely be at the top of the of the heap for me but i'm also trying to think of someone else that sits on sits in that space and that's a very good question henrietta and i have to say i cannot think beyond james baldwin i cannot think of another person right now that is that I desire to sit down with like See, that. But we're the opposite in that way because I'm. We are. Because I have a rolling list depending on what's happening in pop culture. If you're interested, mine are Colin Kaepernick and OJ Simpson. Really? That is yeah. so interesting. It's so random. That, I mean, firstly, I just want to know what he's doing with his time off, um, OJ. And I think Colin Kaepernick is just such an interesting personality and has had such an interesting trajectory to go from football player to activist and I think actually it's such a silver lining would just love to have a conversation with him I'm Michael B. Jordan (laughs) (laughs) now for you Henrietta could you list your most or let me know your most rewarding professional accomplishment that is a good question um I wouldn't say there's like one accomplishment I feel like I've been doing the same thing or evolving within the same parameters for a long time brand digital creative marketing I think my proudest moment I think is where I am now which is just having amassed a whole bunch of experience after 12 years which sounds really really elementary but I think we're in an age where experience isn't the thing that's counted the most. Mm. Everyone's kind of like, it's about your following and who you know and like your proximity to this person. And actually one of the things that quite often could be overlooked in this digital age is just, have you fucking done the work? Mm. And so I would say that that's probably something that I'm most proud of because I know that I could be in a room with anyone and, and really just be able to just... Do the work. Do the work, yeah. That's powerful. That's an empowered place to be. Yeah. Okay, so my next question. Oh, this one is mainly because you are probably one of the most even-temperamented person in the sense that you... Even-temperament is probably the wrong word. I was going to say, I'm like, me? Even-temperament? In the the sense (laughs) that you're consistently optimistic (laughs) and vivacious. We've spent a lot of time together. We've known each other for a few years now, and I, I just feel like you just have this, like, you constantly vibrate at this high level of... Um, optimism and excitement and even when you're talking about the things that you hate it's still it's still caveated by a positive thing so I want to know because obviously I need to be telling myself this all the time but what's your life motto or what's the philosophy that you live by that is a great question and I have that at the ready and that being do unto others as you would have done unto you 
And so you, the this positive spirit that you speak about, that is, it's not to say that I'm always positive, that my No, cool, no I mean, no one is, but you well, have like, a joie de vivre that is just contagious. Well, it goes directly back to that motto. It goes exactly back to that. I think, but why would I bring distress or grief or unhappiness that's of my world into someone else's space. That's not, that's not, unless, of course, it's a friend or it's whomever, someone that you want to communicate with about your state of mind and so forth. That's different. But in terms of me going through the world and what I, you know, leave with people, what I leave behind, I really make a concerted effort to leave, to lead with a positive energy and leave a positive energy behind. Because the alternative is, is what? <laughs> the alternative is leaving some, you know, puzzlement or some dry energy yeah. out there or put some dry energy out there not that doesn't really serve that doesn't really serve anything and as well Henrietta people are very responsive to that it's really amazing people are very very responsive to you bringing um, a bit of light to their life whether it be with a smile or something gentle and kind and happy and inspiring to say and that's rewarding for me in the response that is so so true like I I guess I've understood the idea of energy, but it's really, I would say since I got pregnant, I think that was a real big benchmark in my life where the universe started, I started gravitating towards people that have now become very, very close friends who are just optimistic and positive and not in a in a cartoon way, but in a very real practical way, but also in a way that it, it's contagious, it brings you out of your funk, you know, like when you're used to those friends that like they're always talking about their problems and they indulge you in yours. But literally, it's like sometimes I try to talk to you about things you're like missing. And then I leave and I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't even remember what I was upset about. And I just I've just kind of amassed this very close circle of a few friends that do that for me. And what you're saying is so true because the energy you leave behind. And I think that not enough people are thinking about the energy that they leave behind. Oprah says there are people that that exude energy and there are people that suck energy okay. and you are okay. the former. <laughs> right, yeah. right. It's a very important thing for me because Henrietta, I do think that in this life, in this very, very privileged life of ours, you could be having the worst time in life. You're in the Western world. You have amenities and conveniences that are light years ahead of what others in other regions of the of the globe um, have or rather don't have. And so I'm acutely aware. And, and I tell people, I grew up in Jamaica, a rich person, but rich with land and rich with love and rich with all the... I didn't, I didn't grow up with the trappings of, um, of the kind of wealth that I'm exposed to right now and all those sort of things. So I, I was trained to, to find joy in other, in other ways. One of the most joyful things for me right now is running through nature and just really appreciating wherever I am, the land, the sea, the mountain, whatever. Um, I, I'm generally fed by those um, those features in life and I try to stay positive around that. Not always, because, you know, I am known to have a little edge as well, <laughs> but um, I do try to lead with the positive. <laughs> I mean, but it's also, it's, it's like real. Like, you've always got to be skeptical of someone who just doesn't break 
from that character. But I must say, though, before my 32-year-old self, I think <laughs> I was... Before you fell off a cliff. <laughs> before I fell off a cliff, I think I was more of that cartoon character happy. And it's funny because I lived in Europe at the time, and there was, a, there was a little bit of a backlash back in those days when people were like, oh, God, it's like the giddy American. I didn't really understand what that was. I was just like, well, you're putting a positive energy forward. But Europeans, especially, I lived in Paris back then, they were a little suspect of that grinning, happy, positive guy all the time. Yeah, but that's still a, that's still a phase, though, whether it lasts for a year or a day. It's still a phase where it has a natural ebb and flow. I'm talking about a particular persona of this is my character. And regardless of what's percolating underneath the surface, yes. I'm not going to break from that character. So... Well, I say that to say that I'm just talking about an authentic optimism and and positivity, which obviously, as and when things happen in life, you don't feel like that, but you still aren't like the worst Debbie Downer. No, no, no. Debbie Downer, I will not. <laughs> no, like, I do not condone. No, like, no, no, I do no, not no. prescribe to No, no, that I do not. <laughs> okay, whose question? It's your question. I think the question is mine. Henrietta, is Africa the next frontier? Yes and yes and yes. Forever, Wakanda forever. <laughs> no, Let's take it, it into the real world. <laughs> but, it, but it really is. You know, I've been looking at this, uh, particularly since I've lived in New York. When I moved to New York, I think it was something like eight, it was like eight or nine of the world's top emerging economies were in Africa. So much innovation and progressive thought and insight, like so much is happening in and across Africa. I don't know if it's in a way that we've never seen before, if it's just a different global lens um, and attention. But yes, absolutely. I went to Ghana a couple of years ago and Accra was popping. It's just such an incredible space for academics and engineers and artists and cultural thinkers and fashion and so much is happening. You've got big conglomerates like LVMH investing a lot into countries like Nigeria. I've got so much fashion happening there and technology is really popping off there. I do worry about it being an area that is is ripe for being tapped in a way that previous colonialism has been happening. So right. an example being there's a lot of foreign investment, particularly from the Chinese, yes. that's happening because yes. they obviously see the opportunities there. Mm-hmm. How it plays out, I mean, I don't know, I'm not an economist, anything like that, but... Yeah, I think it's really exciting, but I think that there's cautionary tales as well. That's my thought on that. Gotcha. Okay, so my turn. If you could change one thing about the fashion industry, what would it be? For sure. uh, This lines up with conversations that we've had here on the conversations. And the one thing I would currently change is to employ more people of color, a a much more representative um, uh, people of color in fashion and creative industry companies. That's unequivocally the one big change I would make in fashion right now. The domino effect of a move like that would be seismic. I'm nodding, I'm nodding, I'm nodding. You go. What artist moves you? Oh... Um, I could tell you the last thing that I saw that I was very moved by. Okay. Uh, Kerry James Marshall at the Met. That show I saw, and that moved me as well. One of the best shows I've ever seen, for that matter. And so I could understand that. He moves me as an artist, full stop. He moves me as an artist, absolutely. But seeing that retrospective, 
um, the scale and just walking through and looking at all of the narratives that were in each piece and as a collective story mapped against what's happening today in America and in the world. I was, I was almost moved to tears. I went once with a friend and then I went, I went back again with Grace. Mm -hmm. So I would say he's definitely an artist that moves me. It was definitely a a show that I was most moved by recently. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it was really, really powerful. Is it my turn? Yes, it is your turn. Uh, So this is uh, a bit of an interesting one for me. In your experience, is it easier to be black or gay? That's a fantastic question. And I will absolutely say it's easier to be gay. Wow. <laughs> I actually, will... no, I don't know what I was expecting, but okay. I, that's actually a great question. And I, I don't know if, uh, you know, people could have anticipated the answer, but what, this is why I say this. To be Wait, bl- wait, let me ask. Okay. Is, does that, is that interchangeable, like based on where, on location or environment? Or who or, you know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick to being gay across the board. Because being gay, especially in in the global gay identity right now, you're kind of existing in a silo and that's how it is, and that's okay. There's been a certain embrace of the gay identity that has made it sort of a matter of fact situation right now. So it's not, you're not, you're not necessarily, yeah, you're, you're parsing through things personally on a daily, but it becomes a, it's a very personal battle. You know, you have to work out, you know, your partnerships and your, you know, your, your, your mental state based on where you are in life and all those kind of things surrounding gay. Um, not to say that it doesn't have its issues, but as a black person that comes with a, with a set of issues that you cannot avoid. And you're also dealing while I'm, visibly gay, I think my, my pigment, it, it speaks so much more volume for me than my, um, sort of my fayness or me, my, my clearly evident gayness. So when I, when I say that the pigment becomes more, when I say the pigment is more of an issue, I have to deal with, you know, positioning myself against black people, against white people in, uh, uh, on any given day. I also, I feel like I have a lot more explanation Every, every, on multiple times a day, I feel like I'm explaining, whether, whether I'm verbalizing something or just like comporting myself in a certain way, I think that there's so much more that I have to respond to on a daily by being black right. than I have to be gay. Every store I walk into, every time I walk into a store, I'm not dealing with the gay side of myself in that venue. I'm dealing with the black side of myself. I'm seeing the the cameras and the eyes and all those sort of things that, you know, as a black man have to deal with, I'm faced with those on a daily. The issues of being gay on a daily are not as confronting at all. That's really interesting. I mean, obviously I'm not you, but I think location, like living in New York particularly, I think is, I can completely understand that more. I think also what's really funny, because I asked the question, is it easy to be black or gay? But I think really it's the intersectional intersectionalness of being a gay man or a black man. Because I'd be interested to see if it was the same, if it was like a woman being asked that question. Well, you know, it's it's so... 
it's so much about who you are as a man as well. If you ask, say, a more traditionally masculine black man what it feels like to be at that intersection of gayness and blackness, I'm sure that they would have probably a very different, you know, a very different response than than I do, you know? And it's also about how you approach your life, too. I'm a very visibly different a black gay man, you know what I mean? So when people are looking at me, they're like, oh my God, you're black and you're so different. You know, they're trying to work through all, how all of this, you know, ladder up to the black. They're not, necessarily <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They're not exactly trying to figure out how this ladder up to the gay. <laughs> Sorry, that was pretty funny. Ladder up to the black. I love that. So yeah, that's how, that's how we differentiate. That's how it's differentiated in, um, in my life. Got it. Wow. Thank you. Indeed. Your turn now. Henrietta, what is it about casual style that appeals to you? Uh, I think that I love, or shall I say I know that I love, I just feel comfortable. Like I'm, I love fashion. I love working in the fashion industry, but I'm not a clothes horse or a show pony. I, my goal is comfort. And style. I want to look comfortable in a stylish way. Um, so there's that. But also just growing up, I, I always wanted to be like a little bit invisible, which isn't always a negative thing. Like, like I have a buzz cut, which ironically is such a conversation piece. But I was like, we're not going to talk about this. That's not what this is about. I just want to be me. Like I just want to get along. There's a slight level of amenity to it. There's a, a, fitting, in, a fitting in factor. Not a fitting in, just it's just not standing part, out. It's just part of a larger pie, as Fair opposed enough. to it being the thing. Fair enough. And just aesthetically, like I just love, I I like a more minimal aesthetic. Really like a few basics. Okay. Boring but true. <laughs> what do you wish people understood more about you? That my my persona is not my person. <laughs> oh, that was such an open moment that was so perfect you need to say no more uh new york or london oh that changes on any given day it oscillates between being the two um after i had grace it was london all the way now i would say new york i've gotten i think after wanting to be in london for so long for family reasons and being surrounded by all of that love i've fallen back in love with new york and i see the opportunity and the professional candy and I'm I'm back in that go get it New York moment. So I'd say New York. Excellent. What's okay, you've just done so much and you're constantly doing the most, as we've heard by the Oprah trip. Sorry, I'm really gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. What's on your bucket list? Okay. Actually picking up from where I left off with Oprah, you know what's on my bucket list? More of Africa is on my bucket list. Wakanda forever. I have been traveling the world. I We just did a podcast before on my recent trip to Asia where I was in Vietnam for a month. Love, love, love. I was also in South America on that trip. I, I travel a lot. I'm all over the world. Africa has not seen me enough, nor have I seen Africa enough. It is time to rectify that situation. And that's what I'll be doing over the next couple of years. That's after... A quick trip to Philippines, however. I would um, love to travel to some countries in Africa with you. Oh, my God. I think that we, in fact, should do exactly just that. The conversations, On this is, coming to, the conversations is coming to Africa. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, Henrietta, what 
in the fashion industry brings you joy presently? Oh. I think that long silence basically just speaks to the fact that I had fallen out of love with fashion for a little while and I'm I'm getting back into it. But what joy is a bit joy is a, joy is an intense feeling. Um I will say what I am finding pleasant at the moment is Oh my god, do I need to change industries? I can't think of one thing. What am I finding joy? Oh dear, I guess. I just, I don't want to do something really arbitrary, like talk about like a random designer or something. What am I finding joy? I, you... I know, I know. I'm finding joy in looking at fashion through a cultural lens. And that is an honest to God answer. I think that being so ingrained and entrenched in fashion, I've started to fall out of love with because of the direction it was going in and the inner workings and the inner attitudes and everything we spoke about with Keyway and the tokenism and the the one note marketing strategies and all that stuff. But I actually find that looking at fashion from other perspectives within other realms has been really, really interesting and seeing what those thinkers and personalities think about industry and how they're participating in their own way. That's powerful. That's absolutely, absolutely powerful. That tricked me, but that was a good one. (laughs) Final question. (laughs) Final question is, if you wrote a book, what would the title be? It doesn't have to be an autobiography. It's just if you wrote any book about anything, what would the title be? Style Out Loud. (gasps) Oh, that's so good. Style Out Loud. And that's such a good play on words. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. I feel like I know you so much yeah. deeper now. Yeah, yeah. No, that was great. That was great. That was very illuminating. I'm glad we did this. You really tricked me on that last one about fashion. Uh, oh, uh, I no. thought I was going to have to change careers because I just thought if I can't find one joyful thing to talk about, I'm done. It took you a minute. It took me. It a, took you a minute. It took and... me a whole actual five minutes that would just be edited out because it was just a long pause. <laughs> but Pay that was. To that. But that was really fun. That was really fun. That was really fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad of what came out of that for yeah. sure. Yay. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, my dear. Bye. It's 